Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive, and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. Welcome back, everybody. The Man vs. Machine. This is episode three. The Machine is back from his adventure down in Colombia. He has been researching data, bringing his full force to this conversation as we're going to be talking some running backs today, wide receivers, and some tight ends. Uh, Dario, how was Colombia? It's great. I was, um, yeah, I was visiting. Basically, my family has this this farm that's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And we got to, uh, you know, ride some horses, see some waterfalls was uh, a nice little, nice little, uh, not quite a darkness retreat, like you said, but, <laughs> you know, just down here making, making the most of, of the days that I got, you know, that's awesome. I, I, jo- I joked around with Dario, he got back and I said, welcome back from your darkness retreat, Dario, you're, you're back to the, to the States now. Uh, we're about to hop in the man versus machine. I am the man of this episode and Dario. I am the machine. <laughs> and we're going to add a little bit more to that one. Here we go. I'm the machine! <laughs> That's what we wanted to hear when we do this. Uh, all right. We're building up to it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. It's a work in progress. We got a you know, V2 of the machine here coming soon. Um, <laughs> let, let's talk about some running backs. So we were looking at the rankings. The machine prompted that he thinks, and I'm assuming you think I have Penny too high. Um, right now in the rankings, I have Penny ahead of Gainwell, although I am high on Gainwell as well. So this will be an interesting discussion because I like both running backs. But lay lay down the law here. Why? What do you think is, is wrong with these rankings? I think this is, you know, I'd like to come at this from the perspective of there is no right answer five months before the season starts. I think it's really interesting that they come out so close together in the projections Rashawn Penny got very little money in free agency. And I believe Howie Roseman was quoted saying that, you know, they trust Gainwell this offseason. There's obviously rumors that they're looking into drafting Bijan at 10 overall. So I think this is kind of more of a, a conversation starter, more so than a hot take on either side. I think that currently we project Penny for more carries, Gainwell for more targets and receptions. I think that much is clear. And there's going to be a big hole in this offense from Miles Sanders, but obviously. Jalen Hurts is going to eat into the rushing share of this offense right now. We have him projected for 28% of the carries. And I think that he could very well exceed that. Like I think last year he had many games where he was upwards of 30% of the team carries. So there's, there's just, I think, you know, there's going to be some changes in this Eagles offense. And I think that it's kind of a, an interesting, an interesting backfield to dissect for sure. It definitely is an interesting backfield. And I mean, I, I love just in general, this offense you want a piece of, right? When we looked at last last year, even just down the stretch inside of the playoff best ball inside underdog, I stacked this backfield. I went with Sanders, Gainwell, and Boston Scott and finished, I think, in the top 30 in that tournament. But it is it is a hot-hand approach. I mean, we never know. There's, they're always rotating backs in and out, right? We have series at plays. We have goal line carries. They rotate them in and out. Um, the one thing, though, that I really like about 
Rashad Penny, and and he's been a tantalizing player. And his upside is something that we just cannot ignore, right? We take a look at what he's da- done in his career outside being injured. Of course, that's the first and foremost. But when he's healthy and on the field, in my opinion, he has legitimate RB1 upside. I mean, when you, we look back as far as 2021 down the stretch, this was the year Jonathan Taylor like burst on the scenes and just dominated and was the number one pick in fantasy, uh, you know, for the good portion of last year. Penny actually finished ahead of Jonathan Taylor's in weeks 14 through 18 in fantasy points. I mean, he was dominating the scene that year. I mean, it, it, we look at it was finally the player that we imagined when he came out of San Diego State. And just kind of looking at what he did, right? Weeks 14 that year versus Houston, he rushed. He had a total of 138 yards and two scores. Right, weeks fifteen, he was against the Rams that year. They were just a brick wall of the defense, only forty-four yards. But then listen to the stretch: week sixteen, hundred thirty-five total yards and a score. Week seventeen, hundred eighty-five total yards and two scores. Week eighteen, hundred and ninety total yards and a score. I know yeah, I mean, that I think we the- can't expect that on an every week basis. However, he was playing in one of the most. I would say one of the worst offensive lines in Seattle at the time with a negative game script, still averaging over 6.2 yards per carries over this last 176 attempts. You know, we talked, I just talked about how explosive he is when he's healthy on the field. Now he's with the Eagles who have arguably the best line of football with the number one game script in the NFL. That's going to benefit the two down back as well as the goal line back in short yardage. And we take a look at what he was able to do with bad offensive lines he was already running back number three and breakaway right with any running backs over 150 snaps. And I just kind of want to show people a lot. I want to show people the data analysis tools and kind of what I've been doing here with um, researching. So data analysis. Now this is the new tool that we have here. Let's go ahead and get us off the screen so people can actually see this thing. Um, I'm, I'm, I can't find our thing. There we go. Okay. User error. Me- Man air here. So this is the new data analysis tool, but we have breakaway rate. I set the minimum snaps to 150, right? And we have right, Rashad because Rashad Penny would not qualify if you set the minimum any higher because he's <laughs> never on the field. Um, Correct. Just, I'll interrupt you and point out <laughs> that, I mean, it's kind of funny because I think that someone in the comments pointed this out. Like we're always kind of, we're, th- there's a bit of ideological inconsistency in who's making what arguments. Like right now you're going for the injury prone guy. And I'm about to tell you that you have Penny projected for more carries than he's ever seen in any season of his career by 50 total carries. So it's not, it's not even close. If you're going to, you know, talk about the way you were analyzing Tua, for example, I think that um, there's a lot of reasons to be very scared of just drafting Rashawn Penny in general. I do agree with you. He's been extremely explosive. And I think that from Gainwell's perspective, there's definitely some red flags in that his target share went down from 11% as a rookie to just about 6% last season. His opportunity share went from 25% to 19%. But I think that's a byproduct of the emergence of Miles Sanders last year. The fact that they wanted to kind of get the most out of him in that last contract year because they knew they wouldn't re-sign him. I think the team trusts Gainwell. He's going to see those touches go back up. And I think that, it's, it, I mean... You know, I'm very much a lover of upside and chasing that and hoping for, you know, that extreme high scoring weekly potential with a guy like Penny. And I think his ADP is very palatable right now. 
But, you know, if you look at FFPC, Gainwell's going 20 picks ahead of Penny. And I think that's about right. I think if you look at Underdog, Penny is going 35 picks ahead of Gainwell. So it's very polarizing right now. I think that we should be leaning toward Gainwell. A lot of us play in PPR leagues where those receptions are ultimately going to be more valuable and Gainwell has more room for that ceiling. You talked about the game script and I think it's virtually impossible for the Eagles to sustain the extreme efficiency and the huge leads that they were getting out to every single week last season. So there's a lot of different perspectives that I think point toward Gainwell ahead of Penny right now. So ADP on the move right now. Penny has been rocketing up boards. Um, as, as we can see, if you go to even just to our seasonal tab on the rankings, um, let me go ahead and show that for folks. Uh, and we hey, scroll this is, this is top stuff. You can't be giving this away, Billy. <laughs> and, and, and we go over to running backs. Let's go ahead and take a look at this. Right. So, um, we have rankings right now. I have Penny as running back 36 Gainwell's 37. So we're neck and neck, right? And this is why we're having this discussion. Look at the ADP difference already. 102. Point two for Rashad Penny and game at 129 minus three plus 15. So we've seen Penny start to raise over a full round and I get it. He's injured but all that's, the time. That's underdog ADP. Don't you trust the high stakes ADP more? I mean, this is like, I'm just I, pulling I all your own cards back against you here <laughs> because the high Man, stakes look at this ADP machine learning. He's has, learning <laughs> has Gainwell 20 picks ahead. We're talking 125 for Gainwell, 145 for Penny. So yeah, I, I'm, I don't know if your your own logic is starting to cave in on itself there, Billy. <laughs> it's very human. I don't blame you, but the I I understand. Like I I love both these guys, and I think it would be an error to lean one way or the other and go that way every time. I think you have to have ownership of both these guys, especially with how close we have them both in our rankings. And as you said earlier, we have them as one as the pass catch the pass catching back, when the other one as the you know the two down bruiser, right? And and. When I look at this, though, when I'm drafting and I look at this, and this is now I'm using the machine's logic against them with upside, right? We we had this discussion with with Elijah Mitchell. Let's have this discussion now with with Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny, if I were to say these two running backs' names, Rashad Penny and Kenneth Gainwell, and said one of them finished as the RB1 for the season, which one would be less of a shock to you? Uh, less of a shock? would be Gainwell because I think you have to have pass catching in your game to have that RB1 overall ceiling. And I think that it'd be a little bit silly to argue that Gainwell doesn't also have upside on the ground. I mean, you saw him down the stretch in the playoffs last season. I think that those playoff performances from Gainwell were a big part of the reason that the Eagles were willing to let Miles Sanders walk. Because, I mean, we're talking about a game where he would get 12 carries and he took it for 120 yards and a touchdown. Like, He's been clearly demonstrating his ability. Four and a half yards per carry last season. Let's see what his... um, The run blocking was obviously good. And his yards created per touch, 2.74. Just very solid performance from Gainwell. I think that we can... Oh, and he was explosive in the playoffs, absolutely. But can a five foot eight framed body handle that amount of touches to what it's going to take to be RB1. And I, I know it's, it's um, counterintuitive to say you know, against Penny, but Penny has the ability to break it and take it to the house on almost any given play. And now behind this this much improved offensive line, he was, like I said, he was averaging 6.2 yards per carry over you his know, There's a little uh, search icon there on your uh, player page. You can use it to right look there. up a guy by the name of Austin Eckler, <laughs> who's, um, he's, he's I'll give it to you, he's an inch taller. He's also two pounds lighter. So... 
kind of roughly the same size as as a Gainwell prototype. I don't know if you remember, we've seen RB1 seasons from Danny Woodhead, James White. So he's, he's bringing out Danny Woodhead. Here we go. So there's a, there's a lot of potential <laughs> here. I think that just shaming Kenneth Gainwell for his height is uh is not the way to go there. Yeah, I am definitely a uh, as as Dave here in the chat says, I'm I'm a heightist, right? I'm just against the five foot eight running backs. No, I love Kenneth Gainwell. For me, it just breaks down to upside and what we have already seen from an explosiveness of Rashad Penny. Again, back to back in the rankings. We are splitting hairs here. We we both we like both these players. And we like this offense in general. I think it just wanted to prompt the debate and the discussion about two players who could potentially be league winners inside of your fantasy teams. Let's move along to one that you don't like my ranking, uh, Tyreek versus Jamar Chase. And these are two round one picks right now in any format that you're in. Talk to me about. Yeah, this is one where I think it's just, if you look at just about any receiving metric last season, Tyreek Hill just absolutely crushed it. We know that that was because of how much he was able to elevate the Mike McDaniel offense. And I think that right now there's kind of a a gap in perception between these two guys where like Jamar Chase, I think because of his youth, he's being drafted. You know, it's, it's it's a very small gap. It's we're talking about having an ADP of like two and a half to an ADP of sort of like five and a half. I mean, if we look at the, um, the FFPC ADP right now, it's, it's Jamar chase at 5.4 and Tyreek Hill at 10.2. It's, it's not a very large gap at all. I just think that my case here is that that gap needs to shrink. Tyreek Hill had an absolutely insane season. And I do fear that there's a little bit of a, um, you know, kind of a Stefan Diggs effect where his first year in the new offense might be his best year. But even if he crashes back down to earth a little bit, he had 2000 air yards last season. He had the highest targets per route run. He was third in overall targets and he didn't even necessarily crush in terms of touchdowns. He only had nine total touchdowns. So there was very much some room to grow for Tyree kill in the touchdown department. I think that, you know, if, if I told you, both of these guys have the potential to get that 2000 yard receiver season. And I think that they should be going much closer to each other, kind of effectively back to back. And like right now, Tyree Kill is going behind Austin Eckler. I think you probably want to just move him up a little bit closer to Jamar Chase in the rankings. I don't, I don't think I'm willing to take it as far as saying that Tyree Kill should be the second overall pick in fantasy this season, but I, for sure think he's being a little bit underrated right now. And I think it relates to the concerns about Tua that, you know, we talked about a couple of weeks ago on this very show. What if I told you they're back to back in the wide receiver rankings? They're wide receiver two, wide receiver three. Right. But what are the, what are the overall rankings? I, I think, yeah, I wonder in the first round, I think that you can always kind of mix and match depending upon, you know, the volume that you're playing in. Like if I'm, if I'm pick three or pick two, on three straight drafts, I'm not taking Jamar Chase every single draft, right? I'm mixing that in. I'm I want to uh, I want to you know diversify my portfolio, and I want to make sure that I have Tyreek Hill in there. I want to make sure I have Jamar Chase in there. I want to make sure I have Christian McCaffrey in there. So I think that when we're talking about round one picks, you never want to have more, in my opinion, more than twenty percent, roughly, of any given player. Mm-hmm. So if you do, let's just say that you're at thirty percent or forty percent of that given player inside your draft. And that player goes down, you just lost 30 to 40% of 
of your portfolio, right? And mm. we got to look at drafting the same as we do with stocks and diversifying is important from you from a lot from a, to, to mitigate loss. And I think we have to do that with players as well. I think we're splitting hairs, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill. I mean, both inside the projections right now, they're projected for PPR points, 335.8 and 332.8. So we're talking about a half a touchdown between the two of them. Yeah, and I think that it's not just like, you know, the, what brought this up is not simply, oh, they're 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 very simple. I think they're very neck and neck in terms of their their potential outcomes. But I think if you look at their efficiency metrics from last season, Tyreek Hill was on another plane of existence. I mean, you're talking about 27.9% target rate for Chase, and that was 33.6% for Tyreek Hill. He was more than 5% more targets per route. If you look at formation-adjusted yards per route run, which is yards per route run, but it accounts for how many receivers are on the field with you, so it makes it an even more contextualized version of yards per route run. Tyreek Hill had a full yard more than Jamar Chase. He was at he was at 3.22 while Chase was at 2.11. So Chase was 17th, still very good. Anything over two is an elite receiver and Tyree kills over three. That's like where Cooper Cup was in 2021. He obviously led the league in yards per route run as well. His, he was just absolutely crushing everybody last season. So I think that that's, that's why I, I think if I'm drafting right now, it's probably very close. I'm talking like a 55-45 ratio between these two guys. If I had, you know, if I had the number two or number three overall pick a hundred times. And I think that, you know, I think the general perception of these players is much farther apart. It's like Jamar Chase is is untouchable. And that's because of his insanely efficient rookie season. And I mean, he was he was crazy good last year, too. I remember week six and week seven, he scored 30 points back to back. And it turned out he injured his hip in the first of those two games. And he just played through it and put up the wide receiver one score for those two weeks. Jamar Chase is an absolute stud, but his yards per reception went down from 18 as a rookie to 12 last year. So his overall per target efficiency cratered. I think that was because of how defenses learned to just treat him as a true number one option. And he didn't get those games where he was sneaking up on people like a rookie. And I just think that if you look at any efficiency metric last season, Tyreek Hill blew Jamar Chase and the rest of the league out of the water outside of Justin Jefferson. So I think that this is very much a debate to be had. And I don't think it's a debate that's being had because Jamar Chase's public perception is so much greater than Tyreek Hill's. Yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, like I said, both these players are exceptional and we're splitting hairs here. But at the end of the day, for me, it breaks down to who the who they're tied to in quarterback. Right. And and we mentioned the injury risk with Tua. And I know we can't rely or it's it, almost nearly impossible to predict injuries, but concussions are another a beast. And we have to really consider that when we're doing these rankings. Again, I think Tyreek has the ability to just take it to the house any given play. The area that he hasn't been as efficient in chasing is been receiving touchdowns. And I know it's one of the most variable stats in football and hard to predict. However, he's only eclipsed the 10 mark in two separate occasions since 2016. Jamar Chase did it his rookie year and nearly did it last year in just playing 12 games. So he only had 12 games last year where we had Tyreek with 17 and he still scored two more touchdowns than him. When it counts and they're well, in the Tyreek red zone. Tyreek had two rushing touchdowns, so for what it's worth. <laughs> okay, thank you, Dario. <laughs> thank you. Uh, from a receiving standpoint, Jamar Chase, in my opinion, is just an alpha receiver, right? 
Tyreek relies on his speed and he's been exceptional at it and has been burning players since day one. When you get in the red zone and we're, and we're need to convert, they continue to go back to Jamar chase, right? They didn't really add any tight end for agency here. They're going to add it into the draft, which in signifies to me that they're going to continue to rely on their two big receivers with Jamar Chase. Yeah, both both of these teams, we think, are going to be looking to add a tight end in this draft. The tight end class is very deep, very good. And neither of these, I mean, you know, no disrespect to Irv Smith, but I do think that the Bengals should probably look to add another solid tight end for their future. And then the the Dolphins are completely without a tight end. But I think the other the piece way- for me, real quick, Dario, is snap share. I look at I want the player who's on the field more. And I know that Tyreek has been very efficient. He has been. And he has to be because he's only on the field 76% of the time. Where Jamar Chase is on the field 93% of the time or more. And we all know opportunity is king in fantasy football. And Tyreek gets a lot of opportunities, but he's almost seeing 20% more snaps than Tyreek is on on an, on an annual basis. And I want to have that player who's in on every single snap on the on the field and has the opportunity to convert. I, I think either way you want to do in a draft room, I'm not going to argue. I've taken Tyreek Hill ahead of Jamar Chase. I've taken Jamar Chase ahead of Tyreek Hill. I can see yeah, a scenario I mean, where either of these players are the wide receiver one come the end of the season as well. Yeah, for me, for sure. it just breaks down to touchdowns, the better quarterback, and in my opinion, the snaps, there's those three main criteria for me and why I like Jamar Chase ahead like, of Tyreek this year. To me, air yards are a far more significant indicator of opportunity than snap share. And Tyreek Hill had 20 more air yards per game than Jamar Chase last season, even though Tyreek Hill was obviously, like you said, playing fewer snaps. I think if you're getting more air yards on fewer snaps, I'm, I care much more about the air yards. He led the league in deep targets last season. And like you said, I mean, Tyreek only had 11 red zone targets to Chase's 26. I think that's probably the one biggest hole that you can poke. But I think that just in terms of all around efficiency, Tyreek Hill was on another planet last season. He should very much be in consideration for that that two, three, four overall pick range this season. Well, if you're going to be an underdog draft, Dario, you're going to be taking Tyreek Hill. I'm going to be taking Jamar Chase, depending upon where we're at inside that drift room. But let's take a minute to hear from one of our sponsors, Underdog, and we'll be right back. Let's take a moment to talk about Underdog Fantasy. Now, many of you have already signed up. Thousands have signed up from Player Profile already over the years. Underdog has supported us since 2020. Much of what you see on Player Profiler is because of Underdog, because of their support. Get the Underdog app, plug in that promo code UNDERWORLD, and they're making the NBA fun. Their NBA pickums. It's changed my Wednesday night. It's changed my Sunday afternoon. I used to play Underdog just for the best ball drafts. I mean, the best ball drafts are amazing. These draft rooms fill so quickly. And... You can win life-changing money. You want to take advantage of all the sleepers we talk about on this show? Well, what better place than in an underdog draft room to do that? And I recommend taking your underdog play to the next level by diving into their NFL pickums. It's important to correlate those NFL pickums. You can pick both the quarterbacks and the wide receivers to exceed expectations. Correlate them and you can 5X your payout. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Underdog Fantasy, the promo code is UNDERWORLD. For an instant deposit match up to $100, Underdog is the truest friend of the underworld. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I love your robot sound there, Dario. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's move me thinking. <laughs> let's move on to some sophomore wide receivers. Uh, all right, we have three here that are all three, in my opinion, are are going to be exceptional. Um, receivers in this league. And uh, we talk about Traylon Burke, Jahan Dotson, and George Pickens. When we take a look at the receiver rankings, uh, we have Burks at where's Burks? Burks is at wide receiver 41. Yeah, Dotson is at 38. And we have Pickens, who is at 37. This what, one, what I'm going to come on strong. Burks should be <laughs> ahead of both of those guys. Traylon Burks, way more efficient on a per route basis last season. The Tennessee offense is completely depleted of weapons. He has every possible path to being the target leader for this team. They drafted him to be AJ Brown's replacement and he showed some very good efficiency numbers last year as a rookie. I don't see any reason why those other guys should be ahead of Traylon Burks. If you just look at their per route efficiency stats last season, when Burks was on the field, he was by far the best of this group of three. He has the clearest path to opportunity this season. He has no alpha ahead of him like Pickens does with Deontay Johnson and Dotson does with Terry McLaurin. There's just so many reasons to be drafting Burks ahead of Pickens and Dotson right now. I think that it's it's just to me, this is someone a case where where your rankings are wrong. A lot of places the ADP is wrong. I think Pickens is going ahead of of Burks on both underdog and FFPC, although it looks like Burks is going ahead of Dotson on both of those sites. So I think you need to slow down on the Dotson train, and I think we need to be shoving more coal into the Burks train because this is just completely egregious that a guy with a significantly higher targets per route run, significantly higher yards per route run, these these are kind of like benchmark metrics, in my opinion, where if you're getting targeted on 25% of your routes or so, that's a very good number. For Burks, that was 23.8 last season, very close. And then for Pickens and Dotson, that number was in the teens. I mean, we're talking about 16.3% for George Pickens. George Pickens' yards per route run, 1.54. That's completely mediocre for an NFL receiver. Traylon Burks, 1.96. Like I mentioned when we were talking about Jamar Chase, two is kind of the golden number there. You want to be getting two yards per route run. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave were both obviously clearing that number by a lot last season as rookies. But I think that Traylon Burks is kind of the sneaky third in this class. And for some reason, people are infatuated with pick and size. And I don't know what it is with Jahan. I mean, I like Jahan Dotson too, but I think that Traylon Burks was clearly ahead of both of them. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that Burks is the clear-cut one in his offense. That's safe to say. Pickens is the clear-cut two in this offense. Maybe the third option behind Fryermuth. Then you have mm-hmm. Jahan Dotson, who, in my opinion, is the clear-cut number two in this offense. It's a simple numbers game for me when you look at the attempts that Washington and Pittsburgh has and expected an, an expected pass attempts this year inside of our formula. 
versus what Tennessee has. Tennessee is bottom bottom of the league, right? B- bottom five. They're at 505 attempts that are expected for 2022. Washington is 585, so they literally 80, 80 more attempts this season. Pittsburgh is almost 100 more attempts in the passing attempts, just 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 on the passing. That's 100 more. That's a lot of distribution. And even if the number two here may see more opportunities than the number one inside Tennessee. Tennessee is a run-first team. We know they're going to lean and pound the rock with Derrick Henry. That's what they do. They're also having now a quarterback identity crisis. We may see Malik Willis this year. We may see a rookie this year. We're hoping, from a fantasy perspective, it's Ryan Tannehill. But if it's not, it could get ugly fast. We look back at those games that Willis started, and it was disgusting. I fear that if we do see more of Willis, regardless if he's the number one or not, regardless of how efficient he is when he is in the field, we're going to see serious regression with anyone else outside of Tannehill at quarterback on this offense. And and it breaks down simply to the amount of, amount of pass attempts that they have for me and him being able to outproduce these guys who are going to be seeing more, more receptions and more attempts per game. I just think that, that like right now our projection for Burks is fairly conservative. I think 23%, he very much has a chance to exceed this by a large amount because like we said, he, he's earning 23% of targets on his routes as a rookie he's only going to get better all of these guys are only going to get better presumably but the baseline for burks is a lot higher i do think that there are valid concerns there but i mean i don't think that kenny pickett or sam howell are exactly it's not it's not exactly joe burrow throwing the ball to george pickens i think if there was then then we'd be having a different conversation but these are all guys in kind of iffy quarterback situations burks is the only one without other major targets in his offense, I think that, you know, like there are some valid concerns with the total size of the pie, but getting, I think getting to 20% of the targets, which is where we have Pickens right now, is a little optimistic in an offense with Fryermuth and Deontay Johnson. And I think getting to 25, 26, 27% of a smaller offense for Burks is very realistic this season, very attainable. I think he's someone that we should be buying and frankly, ranking ahead of these other two rookies coming into 2023. Even if you bumped him up to, and we're doing this live, folks, by the way, let's go ahead and, and, and even share this screen for people so they can see it. Um, <laughs> you can't you can't give away the secret sauce, Billy. <laughs> All right, we'll just talk about the numbers. Traylon Burks right now at 23% target share is at 116 targets. If we bump that up 25%, Dario, that's only still 126 targets where if we head on over to the AFC North and we take a look at George Pickens at 20% is 120 targets. So 5% less of the total target share. And we're only talking about six targets. That's how much this volume and this pass attempts matter when we're doing these, these, these projections. I agree with you that they matter, but I think that we also have to have some, like we have, we have to think about these from like with a little bit of humility and say, look, in a world where our projections are wrong in some way, like this is already close to this projection is close to the ceiling for past attempts for the Steelers. Right. Whereas if, if Tennessee is even middle of the road and they get 25, 30, 40 more pass attempts without even getting more efficient, Traylon Burks has so much room to grow. I mean, we saw 
AJ Brown put up some very good seasons in this offense while it was still but you're, run heavy. You're, I'm not your saying your argument right be, now is assuming that their receiver core stays the same. And I don't think it does. They're definitely going to be addressing this position in the draft. And if it doesn't land the player they want, they're going to go back to the free agent market, which is depleted. But what we see as wide receiver two, three, and four on this team will not be the same come middle of May. Sure. We also but, I mean, forget we, how efficient Chig was. I can't say his last name or I'd say it, the tight end, Chigo Conwo, however you say it. But Chigo was extremely efficient. And I would not surprise me if he's nearing 20% target share right now, we have projected for 15%. You start adding in another receiver in the mix. And I'd say I mean, it's going to be pretty hard for Traylon Burks to hit 25%. I, I would, I would still disagree with you because look, if you look at these, we're still like, there are still phantom targets left to be distributed in this offense. We're missing 20% of this offense's target share because we're assuming someone else is going to show up. I think that that's like, the absolute worst case for Burks. And even then, I I just don't see that extreme happening. And I think that at the end of the day, these efficiency stats that I'm talking about, yards per route run, targets per route run, they're the best indicators we have of how talented a wide receiver is when he's on the field, especially as a rookie. And Traylon Burks very much shined through in that. I mean, he was 1.81 formation adjusted yards per route run. That was 1.42 for Dotson. So there's a very clear difference. I guess, you know, Pickens is the one where the debate's a little bit more contentious. Pickens also had 1.41 formation adjusted yards per outrun. So Burks is clearly well ahead of both Dotson and and Pickens in efficiency. And I think that's just like that to me is the strongest indicator of how good a receiver is. And at the end of the day, talent wins out. Like if if Burks is as good as these metrics these underlying metrics suggest he is, then he's going to be a very solid wide receiver one in this league. And he should be being drafted ahead of guys who aren't even the number one receivers on their own team. So we didn't talk a lot about Jahan Dotson. I want to mix him into this conversation as well. So Jahan Dotson last year had a pretty damn good rookie campaign. I mean, he did, he did get injured. He only ended up playing 12 games, but when you take a look at his game logs, he was scoring touchdowns. He was a factor in the red zone. He was being targeted frequently in the red zone. Um, we saw nearly two per game down the stretch, one per game in every single game except for week three in the first, what is it, first five starts. And so love how they were utilizing him inside the red zone and what his opportunity was there. I, I think it's clear that he has taken over the number two in this offense. We have a new offensive coordinator here as well. It's going to be creative and getting players the ball. They're going to get... Dotson even more involved than he was last year. Again, breaking down to the numbers at 19% target share, still held 111 targets. So only nine off of what Traylon Burks was. I think that this offense has is just in general a lot better, right? Than Tennessee is. Tennessee is pretty disgusting. Like it's it's gross. And outside Derrick Henry, outside Chico, outside Burks, there's nobody else in this offense. And it's very well possible we see double coverage on Traylon Burks for them to force them to run the ball when they start to stack the box. Stack the box, double cover Burks. This offense is shut down. Pretty simple. It's going to force them to throw the ball to another receiver. It's going to force them to get get Chigo the ball. And you're going to be able to pull Traylon Burks out of the equation where all these other teams that we're talking about, they have other weapons. They're going to be able to keep defenses honest. They're not going to be able to load the box up. They're not going to be able to double cover the, 
the the sophomore receiver that we're discussing. So there's I mean, a lot more opportunity for these other players to succeed because their offenses are a lot more balanced. I personally don't try to play defensive coordinator um, when I'm making projections in April. So that's <laughs> that's uh, you, you, you're more than welcome to run away with that. But I think the thing that's very interesting is, like you said, the, you know, the Darn, sizes it, of the pies it's, it's are very served different. served me pretty well over the past couple of years talking about uh, trying to put my defensive coordinator hat on, trying, <laughs> trying to project the future, right? And no, we're not always right, but it gets you in a mindset where you have to think about these things. And I like to do three sets of projections. In April, I'm not doing all three because the draft hasn't even started, right? But once we get the draft, I like to go back and look at this and say, okay, I have a mean projection. I have a low projection. I have a high projection, right? And when I look at the high for all these players, Traylon Burks, the target share is nice, but I still think that the amount of passes that we're seeing in these other offenses and the fact that they have more weapons allows their high to be a lot higher than Traylon Burks, who we're seeing as just nothing but run first. I, I just think you're underestimating the importance of of the efficiency that that Burks showed. I mean, Pickens, he was better in his first few games, and then when they traded away Claypool and everyone thought he was going to take over as the number two weapon, that was when Fryermuth peaked in terms of his target earning capacity. So whatever was going on, George Pickens and his chemistry with Kenny Pickett and his ability to earn targets down the stretch. I mean, he had games with two targets, three targets, four targets down the second half of last season. And I mean, Burks, yeah, like you you look at some Malik Willis games where he had, you know, two targets as well, but he's he's just been so much better. Like, I, I don't know that there's much else, in my opinion, to look at from this argument besides the per route efficiency. If you look at the air yards share, I mean, it was... Pickens does look better there because his targets are relatively deep, but Burks is still the highest air yards share of these three receivers. Like I think there's a lot of indicators that Burks is going to be the more talented NFL receiver of these three guys. And I think that that very much makes up for some differences in the overall size of the offense. Let's talk about the last player to dance me. Kyle Pitts. This is the Twitter darling, right? I have never been that high on Kyle Pitts. I have been lower on him every single year. I am again lower on Kyle Pitts inside my rankings. I have him right now inside the projections as tight end number nine. I have him behind Darren Waller. I have him behind Evan Ingram. I have him behind Pat Fryermuth and George Kittle and then the big four. Assuming the machine doesn't like this, walk me through your thought process here, Dario. This is another one that I think is, is just plain, plain and simple. You have Kyle Pitts projected for 18.5% of the targets in the Atlanta Falcons offense. Last time we saw Kyle Pitts on the field, he earned a 27% target share last season. I know this isn't going to be an elite offense by any stretch. It doesn't seem like they're going to be pass heavy, but I think this projection is just his absolute floor. I mean, the guy earned a target on 34% of his routes last season. That was number one among all tight ends. And he did that at 23% of his routes as a rookie. There's just no way that he sees this little opportunity on a team that spent the number four overall pick on him. I, I find it unfathomable that they would utilize him 
you know, it's we think that they underutilized him last year, and that was still 27% target share, and you're bringing him all the way down to 18%. It just doesn't, it doesn't compute with the machine. <laughs> when we look at the rest of this offense, we talked about Drake London the other week, who it was nearing close to 30% target share. Okay, we can't have two. We're not going to have two players on this on this team who are going to have 60% of the target share. When you also look at the Why volume, not? who else is going to get them? Kaderil Hodge. Like yeah, they they brought in another Tyler tight end as well. They brought in Jonu Smith, right? <laughs> and I'm not saying Jonu Smith is this is this Lord and Savior, but it is another competing tight end that Pitts is having to compete against. They went out and traded for him. We know that Arthur Smith has been utilizing two tight ends. He has ever since he was an offensive coordinator. We know that he also likes to run the ball a lot, and he likes to involve his running backs in the passing game. When we look at the pass attempts, Atlanta is expected in our projections 498 pass attempts. It is literally the last in the league. They ran the ball so much last year. We're going to expect them to continue to run the ball. That's why I've talked about them possibly taking Bijan Robinson inside the top 10 in the draft because they can want to continue to hammer and pound the ball on the ground. I think Kyle Pitts will command a target share, but when I look at the projection, this number, the 18.5%, is more about the total piece of the pie come the end of the year, right? I don't think it's, if you look at when he's just on the field, right, I, I would say that, yes, I think on a per-game basis, he's probably going to see more than 18.5% target share, but when you look at total targets here, that 18.5% is 92 targets. When we take a look at what he's done in his career, he played 17 games in 2021. That and was he 100, 110 targets. 110 targets. Last year, he had 60 targets in 10 games. We're just slightly down here. I do expect them to take another receiver in this draft. So I do think they're going to add another positional player. I think they're probably going to also attack the running backs. Like I said, I would not be surprised if they took Bijan in with their first pick. This this offense is just wants to run the ball. And I think regardless how you look at it, as athletic as Kyle Pitts is, he's arguably the most athletic tight end in the league. They just don't throw enough and they don't target him enough. They put him out wide and now he doesn't have the mismatches that he would if they ran him in line against linebackers. They misuse him. And that's why I have was, him in my ranking. He was fifth in expected fantasy points per game last season among tight ends. Obviously, underproducing in the touchdown column really hurts him in that regard. I mean, Marcus he underproduced every gone. column. What? He underproduced in every column, in my opinion. Everyone was thinking him as a top four tight end last year. Well, yeah. I mean, like he got he got hurt. Obviously, he underproduced. But I think that you know his his targets per route run was still higher than Drake London's. It was close. His, his target share came in just behind Drake London. I think that we could very much be looking at two alphas in this offense. Who's throwing I, the ball right now? Is it Ritter? We're protecting Ritter? I, I just, I don't think that matters. I don't think that affects the fact of course that... it matters. Well, obviously it matters, but like it shouldn't matter so much that he's ranked behind Evan Ingram and Pat Fryermuth. I think that he should be the tight end six behind Kittle because Kittle also has an extremely high weekly Evan upside. Ingram has Trevor Lawrence thrown the ball and he had 98 targets last year. This offense is is Kyle Pitts to be had one 110 better... targets as a rookie. I mean, if you if any like, and that you know, was literally as the only player on the field because Calvin Ridley was suspended, he was gone. So he was the only player. He was the he was technically their X receiver as a tight end 
hence the 110 targets. So when he had nobody else to compete with, he only had 110 targets. And he had now he has the alpha Drake London. Now he has an alpha Drake London to compete with, who also commanded a near 30% target share. There's just not enough volume in this offense for him to be a top five tight end. Unless he's ex- he has he's double extremely athletic. Counts. He's ex- or he's earned very impressive per route stats and very impressive, you know, like yards per reception. Like I said, 110 targets and 15 yards per reception as a rookie. He had a hundred, he had a thousand air yards, 1100 air yards as a rookie. There's just so much talent. I think that people are a little bit scared away because of the injury last year, but there's just, I think that he has, I mean, if we talk about upside, right? His I can chances see, of finishing. I could see where as okay, as a top three have, tight end, significantly clear. Darren Waller, Pat Fryermuth, and Evan Ingram. I think that this is just Waller. Waller way is surrounded by a bunch of chumps right now. We have Slayton. We have Shepard, who who's never healthy. We have Wandale coming off an ACL injury. You have Hodgins, who they resigned. They went out and got Paris Campbell. Like if you add in every one of those receivers, except for Paris Campbell. I mean, with exception of Hodgins, we might get 12 games out of them. Where Darren Waller now is like <laughs> the de facto. That's that's a partly joke, but it's partly true, and you know it's funny. Uh, <laughs> Darren Waller is now the de facto number one in this offense. They went out and got him in free agency because they didn't believe in this free agency class. So I could understand one player ahead of my in my rankings that you maybe could make an argument with. That's Pat Fryermuth. But again, it goes back to pass volume. This is the this is the same debate that we just had, where they had 606 our expected pass attempts versus versus the which, which team was it? We were just talking about we were talking about um, Tennessee. So the same concept can be here for Atlanta. Both of them bottom five in pass attempts. Again, probably bottom five in pass attempts. He's going to have to command a 30 percent target share and see double digit touchdowns in order for him to return top five tight end performance for the year. His air yards were there. He was, even though he only, you don't get fantasy points for air. Think about this. Think about this, Billy. He only played 10 games, right? Mm -hmm. He was still fifth among all tight ends in air yards. I mean, you'd say opportunity is King to quote you from five minutes ago. (laughs) And he's absolutely crushing the opportunity department for tight ends. I remember, I mean, every indicator of his, of like what is an underlying breakout, a guy with a completely talented skill set that was just, you know, is on the verge of putting all the pieces together. He has, I mean, he had a game with 200 air yards last season, but only he only caught two of those targets because he was, you know, catching the ball from Marcus Mariota. I do think Desmond Ritter can be more accurate down the field than Mariota. And I just think there's way too many indicators pointing to Kyle Pitts being extremely efficient and elite as a simple receiver athlete on the field that like Evan Ingram and like, you know, Pat Fryermuth have never displayed that extreme level of efficiency. And if that doesn't translate to upside, I don't know what does. We're going to do rapid fire. Kyle Pitts or Darren Waller in redraft for you. Pitts. Okay. Kyle Pitts or Evan Ingram for you. Pitts, I'm telling you, Pitts ahead of all these. This this whole tier, you got Kyle you know, Pitts, Pitts too low. Or Pat Fryermuth. Still Pitts. Kyle Pitts or George Kittle. I think that's where it gets interesting. I think probably probably leaning Kittle right now. I mean, it's like if, if I'm in a draft room right now, 
that's where you have to be taking pits. Like you're fading him into oblivion. Like with with your rankings right now, you'd be getting zero Kyle Pitts. And how, Kyle how much Pitts, Kyle Pitts do you think I own? I'm yeah. I but, might have one share for diversity right now, but I'm gonna. This is a player. I have a every year. I have a I set amount of players, and I say I'm gonna make them beat me. Kyle Pitts. I'm gonna make him beat me this year because the cost right now at ADP. I would rather take Pat Fryer and move three or four rounds later that you get in some of these drafts. I'd rather take, you know, Darren Waller. I'd rather take, I'd rather take Dalton Schultz multiple rounds later than take Kyle Pitts where he's going at ADP right now. At cost right now, I think Kyle Pitts is one of the worst draft picks that you can take right now in any format. It's too expensive. I mean, that can be true and you can still be way too low on him. Like I think like I'm saying probably still should be Behind Kittle, right now he's going slightly ahead of Kittle on FFPC. But like, just think about the the outlier seasons that determine who wins fantasy championships. Kyle Pitts is very capable of that outcome. I just don't think Evan Ingram is. I don't think Pat Fryermuth is. So we and just talked Darren about... Darren Waller is about to be 33. You said a key word. Everyone in this tier, okay? That tier in which you have Cal Pitts at the top and I have Cal Pitts at the bottom, that tier is separated by 44 picks of ADP. Cal Pitts right now at FFPC is 41.5, where Pat Frymuth is 85.2. If we have them in the same tier, how can we possibly suggest for players to take Cal Pitts ahead of Pat Frymuth when you can get him nearly four rounds later? I mean, that's the the the, the question is, you have Fryermuth ranked ahead of Pitts. I do, and that that doesn't compute because I mean, a, pass attempts is pass. If you look attempts. at the market, you know, clearly Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts's upside is Pittsburgh being will easily seen. eclipse 600 pass attempts this year. Where I would be surprised if Atlanta eclipsed 510 or 520. And with Kyle Pitts getting 25% target share, like he, oh, he went rightfully down. He should be thirty earlier. For. The machine said 30 earlier. He's already, he's already doing updates. He's already, no, no, no. I mean, he 30% targets per route run, 25% total <laughs> target share. You have him 18 and a half. It's ridiculous. I saw that and I was like, Oh, you know, let me, let me check. Let me look at Kyle Pitts's player page. Let's, let's see how efficient he was. And he's been ridiculously efficient. This is just like, this projection is egregious. I think if you make it, even I think you're you're bringing the emotion into this. You you you're taking pride in being low on Kyle Pitts for some reason. But in reality, if you just look at these numbers and you look at how efficient Kyle Pitts has been his entire career, his as a rookie, as a sophomore, he had a fluky injury. I mean, you know, everyone has some bad injury luck here and there. But we draft to win championships. I think that you know, like I'm I'm not saying that Kyle Pitts at his current ADP is a steal. I don't think I'm drafting him ahead of his ADP, but your rankings suggest that you should take Fryermuth ahead of Pitts in a vacuum, that you should take, you know, Ingram ahead of Pitts in a vacuum. And that is just, to me, egregious. Let's talk Evan Ingram. So this is a valid point that James brings up here, that Ingram has so much more target share or target competition, and the Jags are getting Ridley this year, which is the same comment as him having more competition. Thanks, Jared, or James. Um, again, that one to me is simple math, right? Ad- we have Atlanta just not throwing the ball as much. 
Jacksonville, in our projections right now, expected pass attempts is at 595, where we have Atlanta at 498. And so we're expecting this offense, the Jacksonville Jaguars offense, to be much more efficient. We're going to be moving the chains, getting downfield, where I can't say the same for Atlanta, right, where they're going to rely on the run a lot. So I think these are all great discussions because these are the questions that we see in draft rooms, right? Which, which tight end are we selecting? I think, again, I want to just reiterate for everybody here who's watching listening that it's important to diversify, and we're not taking, if you are on the pit side, we're not taking pits every time here, right? It's important for you to mix in the Evan Ingrams, to mix in Darren Wallers, to mix in the other players. All I'm saying is that from where Kyle Pitts is going in draft rooms, and yes, in the projections as well, I am low on him, and it's rightfully so because I don't want the subscribers drafting him, where he's going inside draft rooms right now, you can literally get the same tier 40 picks later. And I'm 100% leaning that way. I mean, I think, I don't know. I think that he's in his own tier, uh, maybe behind, I think he's closer to Kittle in terms of upside, in terms of raw talent than he is to Darren Waller, frankly. Like his, I mean, if we look at the underdog ADPs that are on our player rankings, you have Kyle Pitts, basically behind three guys who have ADPs that are 20 picks later. And it just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. I think you can be low on pits without saying don't draft a single share. I think it's a mistake not to draft a single share of Kyle Pitts because like I said, extremely efficient per route, extremely good at earning opportunity deep down the field. His air, like how do you finish number who finishes number five in air yards while missing seven games. That's unheard of. That's like extremely studly performance from Kyle Pitts. And you're just sweeping that under the rug, projecting him for 18 and a half percent targets. It's, it's disrespectful. If only we got fantasy points for air yards. Oh, I would love my, 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 my season <laughs> last year. Uh, that is the end of man versus machine season or episode three. We're going to throw a poll up in the community. Uh, once it's posted, we'll throw it down in the chat as well. We appreciate you voting. Uh, we would like to note the, that the man is 2-0 and in those votes versus the machine. So Dario has laid out his case this week in Man vs. Machine, Episode 3. We appreciate you all tuning in. We'll see you all back here next week. Dario will probably be in China that time. So thanks, <laughs> thanks for traveling the world, Dario. See you all then. Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.